Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. Carol and I have had the privilege to live all over this great nation, having been born and brought up on the East Coast, living in the Midwest, in the Southwest, and uh, now here in, the, I guess, the, well, is this the Southwest? The Far West, however you say it. We've lived in Texas and Ohio and Massachusetts and now here in the state of California. And the, one of the advantages of living all over the country is you get to see some of the amazing beauty that God has, has placed here into his creation in this, this great land of ours. There's really some spectacular places I can remember a number of years ago, standing as the sun was setting, standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and watching the sunset, and the crowd was just, you know, chattering away until the sun began to set, and, and this hush came over the crowd, and we were all just awed by the glory of seeing the sun as it went down on the, you know, on the face of the, of the canyon wall. It was amazing. I've stood close enough to be wet by the awesome power of Niagara Falls to watch millions and millions of gallons of water pour over the edge of that amazing horseshoe-shaped phenomena. It's quite a sight if you've never seen it. I've had the privilege of seeing the Rocky Mountains covered in snow. What a beautiful sight it is. But I think as, as I recollect the various places that in God's good providence I've had opportunity to go, I don't think any is more glorious than Yellowstone National Park. Almost three decades ago, our family had the privilege of, of uh, visiting Yellowstone just for a day. And I was sicker than a dog the entire day. I was, had strep throat, was running up fever, but that wasn't going to keep me. And uh, so we were only able to stay there a day, but that is just an incredible place. And I really would love to go back there someday. And again, commend to you, if you have never been to Yellowstone, you need to go. It is quite a sight. And you get to Yellowstone, and there's so many things to see, but certainly uh, you can't say that you've, you've been to Yellowstone or seen Yellowstone unless you have experienced Old Faithful. Old Faithful is a hot water geyser that spews forth 4,000 gallons of 204-degree water 150 feet into the air. And it's called Old Faithful because it does it on average about 20 times a day. They can't predict exactly when it's going to happen, but on average... Uh, there, there's, uh, they can project it within about 10 minutes. So you go there and you, you stand and, and you wait. And there's really not much happening while you're sort of waiting there. You just stand and wait. And then all of a sudden, it just bursts forth from the ground and this, this water comes flying up into the air and it, and it is incredible, absolutely incredible to see. 
And it kind of reminds me in really a, a small way of, of what happens in the life of the Apostle Paul here as he begins this first chapter of Ephesians. Because there's a, there's a spontaneous eruption of praise and thanksgiving to God that comes from the, the lips of the Apostle Paul through the pen of the person to whom he was likely dictating this letter as he pours forth this praise for God. He begins the letter here in verses 1 and 2 with what's we looked at last time, a, a culturally common greeting. And it's here beginning in verse 3 that he, that he begins to pour out this soaring string of praise. And, and it continues unabated all the way through verse 14. In fact, verses 3 through 14 here in your English text, although it's, it's uh, divided into sentences with periods and so forth, in the original Greek text is one long sentence. Verse 3 all the way through verse 14, one sentence. 202 words. I didn't count this up, but uh, one writer, and I'll take his word for it, it says grammatically it contains 32 prepositional phrases, 21 genitive expressions, 6 relative clauses, and 5 adverbial participle clauses. Now go ahead and diagram that, huh? Yeah, indeed. It is a very, very complex sentence. And because it's so complex, it doesn't yield itself to one singular consensus with regard to how it is to be organized and punctuated. And and you will hear me read it here in a moment. And perhaps if you have a, a different translation of the Bible, you may have a slightly different punctuation. And that's because the the translators are doing the best they can to try to uh, figure out where they believe the natural punctuation uh, for us would be. And so there could be some small differences. This uh, paragraph here, or sentence, I guess for us it's a paragraph, but for Paul it was a sentence, uh, 202 words as I said, is a doxology or a eulogy. And it's in which he, in this sentence, he praises God for what one writer said is every conceivable blessing. Every conceivable blessing. Now, there are other major eulogies to be found in the New Testament. Another one by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And there's one by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 3. But neither one of these other doxologies or eulogies are as long as this one here in Ephesians. This is the longest. It's, it's almost like when Paul gets started here, he gets on a roll and he doesn't know where to stop. It is almost like old faithful. It just begins to burst out and it just comes and it comes and it comes. The eulogy is very deliberately Trinitarian. It speaks about Father, Son, and Spirit and and overflows with praise for the involvement of each member of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
We are going to look only at verse 3 this morning because verse 3 is, in a sense, a summary of the entire section of verses 3 to 14. So we'll confine ourselves to just verse 3 this morning. I've entitled our message, God Be Praised. Let me read it for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So I want to focus on verse 3 this morning. And as we look closely here at verse 3, we're going to see the involvement of each member of the Godhead in procuring and providing every blessing we could ever want or desire so that we would join with Paul in his spontaneous exclamation of praise. Once we understand what God has done for and in us, praise is the only logical response. So, our outline is going to be very simple. We're going to look at the work of the Father, we're going to look at the work of the Son, and we're going to look at the work of the Spirit And I'm breaking it down for you this way. Number one, the source of our blessing, God the Father. The source of our blessing, God the Father. Paul says here in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when we look at this verse, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is not giving a command He is not saying that we should bless or praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a command to be obeyed. This is a statement of reality. He is declaring that God is praised. God is honored. God is appreciated. Not that he should be, but that he is. He is blessed. He is praised. This is a declaration of reality. This is a heartfelt recognition of what is, not what should be. 
but what is. So why? That's the question. Why is God the Father praised by his children? Why? And the answer here for us is right in this verse where it says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. The reason why God is praised is because he lavishes blessings upon his children. That's why we gather here. We gather here this morning to praise the name of God because he has lavished on us all kinds of spiritual blessings. He is the source of our blessing. He is the origin of our blessing. Everything we enjoy as his children finds its source in God the Father. He, through his, his grace, elects us. It is his electing plan, and, and it is his electing plan, Paul will tell us here in, in verses 4 and following, that, that shapes the past. Notice where he says that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. It shapes the past. It shapes the present. We are adopted in Christ. And it, and it shapes our future. That is, that, that our, our future is secure through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the ultimate goal of all of this is so that the Father may be glorified. Again, look at verse 6, 12, and 14. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. So why, why does God do all of this? It is ultimately to the praise of his glory, that he might be glorified, that, that people will praise him as he shares with them the intertrinitarian love that he and his son and the spirit have enjoyed together from all eternity. We talked about that last week. God loves his son, and the son loves his father, and the spirit loves the son, and the spirit loves the father, and the father loves the spirit, and the son loves the spirit. And from all eternity, the Godhead in loving communion and fellowship with one another has opened it up to us in space and time and invited us in. And that is to the praise of his glory. That is what elicits the praise of God's people. Is that God is love. And he has extended that to you and to me. Now, grammatically, here in verses 3 to 14, it is God the Father who is the subject of almost every single main verb in in this entire section. So I say he's the source and origin of all of us. He is the subject of all the verbs here. Again, look at verse 3, right? He blessed us. It is he who has blessed us. It is, the, it is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Verse 3. Verse 4. He chose us. It is him who, it is he who chose us. Uh, verse 5. He predestined us to be his sons. Right? He predestined us to adoption to be his sons. Verse 6. He has graced us with his grace. He's graced us with his grace. Verse 8, he he has lavished his riches, the riches of that grace upon us. Verses 9 and 10, he has made known to us his will and his purpose to unite all things in Christ. 
Verse 11. He accomplishes everything according to the counsel of his will. So it is the Father who is active here. It is the, it is the Father who has done all of these things. He is the source. He is the origin of all of these multiplied and manifold blessings that you and I enjoy as his children this morning. So the whole paragraph here for us is is concerned with the Father's love. It is concerned with the Father's grace, with his will, with his purpose, with his plan. He is the source. God the Father is the source of all of our blessings, every conceivable one, every conceivable blessing. But beyond that, secondly, the sphere of our blessing is God the Son. The source of our blessing is God the Father. The sphere of our blessing is God the Son. Again, look at the verse. Great, or excuse me, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you see it? In Christ. In Christ. All that God has done, all that God will do, all that for which he is praised and should be praised, has been affected in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of our incorporation into Christ that God has blessed us. If you are a child of God this morning, if he is your heavenly Father, by faith, then you are united with his son Christ. And it is Christ in union with him that is the sphere in which all of these blessings occur. One writer says it this way, quote, It is in Christ that the Jewish believers have become God's people. Down there in verse 11 where you see, Also we have obtained an inheritance. And the Gentile Christians, who have been sealed as belonging to God, verses 13 and 14, right? In him you also. You see how Paul is talking about the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. You also, after listening to the message, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. So having been sealed as belong to God and now belong to the new humanity. So this happens in Christ. It is how Jew and Gentile are related to God rightly in the sphere of Christ and consequently to each other in a new humanity. So what does it mean to be in Christ? This is a favorite uh, Pauline theological shorthand. This, this little statement, you know, in Christ... Is, is Paul's favorite shorthand way of speaking about the Christian life. And it's, and it's powerful, and it, and it contains so much theological freight. It's really amazing to me, a little preposition and a noun, that together can carry the theological freight of the entire gospel, really, in this little statement, being in Christ. What does it mean? 
Well, in the mind of God, in the mind of God, all humanity is united with or in one of two representative individuals. There are two representative individuals, Adam and Christ. And in the mind of God, every single person is united with and in one or the other of these two individuals. These two individuals are are fountainheads of, of two vastly different races, two vastly different present realities, two vastly different future destinations. You are this morning either in Adam or you are in Christ. You're not half and half or, or on your way from one to the other or, or falling back from one to the other. No, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. That is the reality of your condition. Now, all people, all people come into the world. They are conceived in union with Adam, the old humanity. Adam is their head. David writes in Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. What David is saying here is that, uh, that I entered life from the moment of conception in union with Adam, my head, which brings me into death and sin. Beloved, when Adam sinned, remember Genesis 2, right? In the day you eat from it, you shall surely die, right? Genesis 2 and verse 17. When Adam rejected God's purpose for him and chose and took and ate of that which had been forbidden to him, Adam died. Adam died. He died spiritually at that moment. He died spiritually. Eventually, he died physically. Actually, what began was the process of physical death. But when Adam died, all of humanity died with him. All of humanity died with him. All of humanity united to him as the head, as the, as the fountain, as the source, as the origin of, of, human, of human life, the entire human race came under the tyranny of sin, spiritual death, which is separation from God, and its natural consequence, which is physical death. Paul speaks of this. Um, turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. It is so, so important that we understand this. So, so important. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. 12, where here in chapter 5, Paul is speaking back and forth of the contrast between these two heads of humanity, Adam and Christ. And in verse 12 of chapter 5, he, he makes a summary statement here, and he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because all sinned. 
How, you might ask, did I sin? I wasn't there. Yes, indeed, you were not there. But in the mind of God, united with Adam as your representative, as your head, when he sinned, you sinned too. You sinned too. His guilt becomes your guilt. His consequences become your consequences. This is a dark and dismal condition of the human race. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul speaks of it here. Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and here it is, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." You came into this world united with Adam, in Adam, guilty of Adam's transgression and living under a sentence of death. And that would be horrible, dismal, without hope, no way out, but God. But God, in his overflowing love, sent his own son into the world to become the head of a new humanity. A new humanity. A a humanity in which those who are now joined to him have been born from above. That they are loving God the Father as they live out their new life in union with him. United to Christ. No longer united to Adam. Now united to Christ. How did this happen? Well, in the fullness of time, God sent his own son. The very son of God came into this world. Born of the Virgin Mary through the the supernatural conception of the Holy Spirit who came upon the the Virgin Mary and, and she conceived in her womb and she bore a son. Jesus, the angel said, you shall call him. This one was able to live out a perfect life, to live in love and obedience to the Father, to live out a life on our behalf, that you and I can never live. And then he voluntarily died the death that we deserve. Not touched by Adam's sin, but a new race, a new humanity. And this Jesus rising to to life again on the third day has become the source, he's become the head, he's become the origin of a new humanity. A humanity that is made up of all of us who are united to him by faith. No longer united to sin and death and the life of Adam. Something real happened to you. When you trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ, when when the gospel became real to you and you believed on Jesus, 
No longer trusting in yourself. No longer seeking to, to somehow appease or buy off God through your good works or whatever you were relying on. When you gave up on that and fled to the cross of Christ in faith, you became united to Christ and born from above and a member of the new human race. The new humanity. Now, admittedly, there is a lot about all of this that is beyond our ability to fully comprehend and understand. You might be sitting there thinking, well, I I don't feel that different. And I probably don't look all that different. But the scriptures tell us that something real happened. Something absolutely real happened. And and in fact, the scripture uses the analogy of being born again to convey that reality of a new life, a new life in Christ. Beloved, this morning you are either living in one of two realms, attached to one of two heads. It's either Adam In which case, you are dead in your sin, alienated from God the Father, outside of his love. Or you are united to his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in which all the fullness and and blessings of the Father are, are yours in this sphere of Christ. It is the realm of Adam, the realm of Christ, You are a citizen of one or the other. Paul tells us here in chapter 1 and verse 3 that in this new realm, united to this new head, comes every conceivable blessing God has to offer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with, notice it, every. Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. What are these spiritual blessings? Again, it's election. Verse 4. It is God's decision to, to think of us as being in a special relationship with Christ even before the world began. Right? Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, those who are in Christ are in a special relationship with God. Even before the world began. We have the blessing of redemption. Verse 7. In him we have redemption. That's, that's becoming united to Christ in space and time. We have sanctification. The blessing of sanctification, that is becoming more and more like Christ with each passing day. And and for that, Paul speaks in Romans chapter 6. Let me just turn you there. In verse 4. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Where Paul says, therefore we have been buried with him, he's speaking about Christ, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
Drop down to verse 11. So consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you may obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." Or said another way, you are no longer united to Adam. You are no longer living in the realm of Adam. You are no longer under the bondage of the sin and death of the realm of Adam. You are united to Christ in the realm of love, grace, forgiveness, and everlasting life. We have the blessing, back to Ephesians 1, of receiving a new body like Christ. Every conceivable blessing. We have the blessing of receiving the resurrection body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Where Paul is speaking there about the rapture. But notice what he says in verse 16. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead, notice it, the dead, what? In Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and, and remain will be caught up together with the clouds in the air and meet the Lord. And so we shall always be with the Lord. The dead in Christ will receive the new resurrection body like unto his. We receive the spiritual blessing of glorification. That is that we are, that we are joining Christ in unhindered fellowship with his father, John's gospel, John chapter 14 and verse 3. Where Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Every conceivable blessing, election, redemption, sanctification, resurrection, glorification... All in the sphere of Christ. All in union with Christ. And notice Paul calls these spiritual blessings, right? And again, back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. He says that they, that they occur in the heavenly places. He has blessed us with every conceivable spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Literally in the heavenlies, in the heavenlies. This is a, an interesting expression, the heavenlies. It's used exclusively here in Ephesians. It's the only place it's used. And it's used five times. Five times Paul refers to the heavenlies and our association will, with them. So, so what are the heavenlies, or as the NASB tries to translate it, the heavenly places? The heavenlies are a spiritual realm. They are a spiritual realm. The heavenlies is the world of the spiritual powers where Christ reigns supreme. Look at verse, chapter 1 and verse 20. says, uh, which he brought about in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. So Christ reigns supreme in the heavenlies, sitting at the Father's right hand. 
Beyond that, uh, the believers, if you, are a, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you're seated there too. Chapter 2, verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So, so Christ is reigning supreme in this spiritual realm and you are sitting with him this morning. You are sitting with him. It is there in the heavenlies that the, the mystery of the church is made known to the angelic realm. Chapter 3, verse 10. He says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. In the heavenlies. It is also the place of our spiritual warfare. Chapter 6 and verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. The heavenlies. The spiritual realm. One writer says it this way, and I think it's worth sharing with you. Believers... While they live in the physical world, at the same time are seated with the risen Christ in the heavenlies. Where they are enjoying their spiritual blessings and are engaged in the real battle for their souls with the demonic powers. If you are Christ this morning, you are seated with him in the heavenlies. And there is a war raging And it is a real war. There is a war raging for your soul. But thanks be to God that in Christ Jesus, you are victorious. You are victorious. Now, the heavenlies is not a reference to a physical place. It is not a reference to a physical place. It is to the unseen world of spiritual reality. Into which you and I have been brought by virtue of being in Christ. Now I know it's hard. And it's, part of it's hard is because we have been steeped in materialism. And that the spirit world for us is something we sort of acknowledge in a passing way, but we don't give a lot of thought to. But it's very, very real. It's very, very real. And in Christ, you are there now. Right now. The sphere of our blessings is God the Son. The source of our blessings is God the Father. Third and finally, the substance of our blessing is God the Spirit. The substance of our blessing is God the Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. With every spiritual blessing. 
The word blessing carries the idea of prosperity, benefit, which the father showers on his children. And the father showers this blessing on us in Christ. And the blessings that he showers on us are spiritual in nature because they are communicated to us through his Holy Spirit. In fact, one can easily say that all of these blessings are summed up in the Spirit himself. To have the Spirit is to have the blessings. He is the blessing. Now, the Spirit of God and only Holy Spirit of God is only mentioned by name here down in verses 13 and 14. But it is by virtue of his indwelling presence that we are granted access to the new covenant. That we have our citizenship in the realm of Christ in the, in the age to come. The Holy Spirit, the overlooked member of the Godhead, huh? Listen to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. Well, the prophet says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. He is the substance of our blessing. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, as, as Peter is preaching there at Pentecost in the beginning of the church, and Peter says to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. He is the promised gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 where Paul says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Beloved, it is the Holy Spirit of God. He, not it, by the way, let's just be sure of that. He is the substance of the blessing of God, the Father, received in Christ. Now, thinking about this this week, thinking about this reality that that each and every Christian fully partakes of the Holy Spirit of God. And I was thinking about that in relation to the the physical blessings of God, right? Paul says. Here, in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, he says that, that, that we have been blessed with every conceivable spiritual blessing. And, and essentially, what he's saying is the Spirit himself in the heavenly realms in Christ. I have him. You have him. And we have him in equal measure. And I, and I was thinking about that because I was thinking about that in relation to the, to the natural and physical blessings of God and how different they are. Think with me on this. So in the natural realm, God blesses some people with intelligence 
And some people he doesn't, right? We, we say, you know, such and such a person is gifted. They're gifted. They're, they, are, they are born with this, with this intellectual capacity that is far and away greater than most people. That's a blessing of God. We also speak of, of people who are beautiful. I mean, some people are, are really beautiful physically. And then there's others of us who have got all the same gear. It's just somehow the way it's arranged. Isn't that right? And, and, there, and there's like a universal standard everybody knows. When they see a man or a woman who is beautiful or handsome, they know it. And, and they can agree on it. We don't all look the same. Some of us look better than others. And if you're, you know, if you're blessed of God to be one of those people, no boasting, right? It's just a gift of God. Some people are stronger than others. Some people are more athletic than others. Some people are more prosperous than others. And when you just think about the natural realm, there, there are just all of these um, differences where there are haves and have-nots. But here, in the spiritual realm, the spiritual blessing, every conceivable spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen, if you're in Christ this morning, if you are united to Christ by faith in his, in his finished work on the cross, then you have everything God has to offer. That's powerful. That is powerful. There are no second-class citizens. There's no JV team. No JV team. Because you have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have everything. Everything. You've been blessed of God with the very fullness of himself. Well, here in verse 3, Paul has stated this great principle. He's going to move on now in verses 4 to 14, and he's going to speak about the particulars of these every conceivable blessing. And, And we will look at them. We will look at the the past blessing of election, verse 4. We will look at the present blessing of adoption, in verse 5. We will look at the the future promise of glorification, verses 13 and 14. When Paul says, all things will be united under Christ. The great Presbyterian theologian B.B. Warfield once wrote, quote, When a man's lips can frame only this one word, blessing, blessing, 
blessing. And by the way, take a look at verse 3. There's a threefold repetition. It's not the exact word, but the root is the same. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Warfield says when a man's lips can frame only this one word, blessing, 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 we know what is in his heart. We know what's in his heart. We're going to dig in here to these glorious doctrines, I promise you. Right? Some of you are saying, when are you going to get after it here? Well, I'm warming it up. Just warming it up. Next week, and as we begin to, to tease out the doctrine of election and predestination and, and all of that, may our minds and our mouths also be filled with blessing and praise to God.